Chapter Eleven of A King in Babylon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ellen Preckle. A King in Babylon by Burton Egbert Stevenson. Chapter Eleven. Mustafa awakened us an hour before dawn. He had coffee ready, and while we drank it, the natives struck the tent and loaded the camels and shouldered their packs, and presently we were streaming away eastward again. The horizon ahead of us was a dull gray, but gradually it brightened to pearl, then flushed to a faint rose, then to yellow and gold. The desert changed color, too, from gray to a yellowish-brown, marked with livid marblings where the sand folded into waves, and always on every side it seemed ready to rush down upon us and overwhelm us. Mustafa finally gave the signal to stop for breakfast, and our native cook served us a surprisingly appetizing meal, and then we pressed on again. For an hour or two the heat was scarcely noticeable. Then, as the sun climbed higher, it grew more and more oppressive, till at last Creel protested. "'I don't think we ought to be riding under this sun,' he said to Davis. "'Some of us will have a heat-stroke.' "'If we stop now, we will lose a day,' Davis protested. "'We'd better lose a day than lose our lives,' said Creel. "'I think we ought to stop.' "'Very well,' Davis assented, but he did not look pleased. I could see that, if left to himself, he would have cracked the whip over the whole outfit and hurried us on. Those ruins were calling to him. He signaled to Mustafa. The caravan halted. The natives dropped their packs with alacrity. Some shelters were run up, and under them we drowsed till late afternoon. Then we were off again, stopping only for dinner at sunset, and it was very late before we camped for the night. We had all of us grown a little moody during the day, or perhaps reflective would be a better word. At any rate, there had been little attempt at talk. We had ridden along in silence, singly, and now, when we dismounted, instead of lingering around the basket of fruit which one of the servants set before us, we scattered as soon as we decently could. My own impulse was to get away for a quiet smoke before turning in, and I had just settled myself comfortably in the sand, when I was surprised and not too well pleased to see someone coming out toward me. I lay still, hoping he would go past, but he evidently caught sight of me, for he altered his course a little, and came straight on. Then I saw that it was Jimmy. "'Hello,' he said. "'I saw you coming out this way. You don't mind if I sit down?' "'Of course not,' I protested. "'I thought I'd like a little talk,' he said, and sat down and filled his pipe, and for a moment smoked in silence, staring out across the sand. "'Tired?' I asked at last, by way of starting things. "'No, not so very, but it is hard on the women.' "'Mademoiselle Roland seems to stand it all right,' I remarked. "'Yes, I wasn't thinking of her. "'Thank heaven there's only one more day of it.' "'I rather like it,' I said. "'It's new and interesting. "'Listen to that now.' "'From the camp of the Fellaheen a short distance away "'came a low chanting, as though they were trying to sing themselves to sleep. "'I know,' he assented. "'But all the same, the more I think about it, the more foolish it seems "'to travel away out here into the middle of the desert in order to get a location.' There must be dozens of places along the river which would have done just as well. Creel doesn't think so, I said. He went all through the river locations. My own opinion is, said Jimmy, that the man at the Metropolitan, or Davis, or somebody, put one over on Creel in order to get some excavating done. Of course it will be a good location, but I'll bet it's not the only one by a long shot. Well, I don't think we have anything to complain of, I said. Davis seems to have made every possible provision for our comfort. Oh, he's done that, Jimmy agreed. He knows his business, and the desert is wonderful. Jimmy stirred uneasily. It's all of that, he agreed. In fact, it's a little too wonderful. What do you mean? I asked, looking at him, and I saw that at last we had got to the subject he wanted to talk to me about. But for a moment longer he fought shy of it. There's something in the air, in the silence, 
in all this vast emptiness that gives me the jumps. I can't sleep. Every time I lie down I have a sensation as though the sand was going to pour down and bury me. I seem to be suffocating. Oh, you'll get used to it, I said hopefully. I hope so. The sensation isn't pleasant, and I hope I won't see any more ghosts, he added. Ghosts? I echoed, staring at him. Look here, Billy, he said, edging closer and lowering his voice. I haven't breathed a word of this to anybody, and for a while I thought I wouldn't. But it's been worrying me, and at last I decided to tell you. Don't think me a fool. Go ahead, I said as he stopped. Let's hear about it. Last night, he went on slowly, as I lay on my back staring up at the sky, something came and stood beside me. The chill in the air seemed suddenly to deepen. I shivered a little and snuggled closer into the sand. What was it? I asked. I don't know what it was. I hadn't heard any sound, and I didn't know anything was there till its face came in between me and the stars. An Egyptian face? I couldn't see. It seemed to be covered with a dark cloth or something. Sure you weren't dreaming? I suggested. Yes, I wasn't sleepy. I was lying there with my eyes wide open, and suddenly that face peered down at me. He stopped, puffing moodily at his pipe. Go on, I said at last. What happened? Nothing happened. It hung there for an instant, looking down at me, and I could see its eyes glittering. And then it disappeared. I sat up and looked around, but it wasn't anywhere in sight. I couldn't understand that either, for the moon made it as bright as day. There was the women's tent, standing out white and clear on one side, and the empty desert on the other. He stopped as he saw the expression on my face. Could it have gone into the tent? I asked. I thought of that, and sat there, and listened, but the women slept right on. I sat up, knocking out my pipe against the heel of my shoe. We must tell Davis at once, I said. This is pretty serious. There's no use to alarm the women. We'll not alarm them. They don't need to know, but we can't have any of the natives prowling around their tent. Yes, agreed Jimmy. That's the only sensible explanation. But somehow it doesn't satisfy me. It didn't look like a native. You didn't see anything but the head, I pointed out, and it was wrapped up just as a native's would have been. I know, but there was a perfume. He stopped abruptly and stared out across the sand. Go on, I said impatiently. What sort of perfume? You'll laugh at me, Billy, he said, but I'll swear it was the odor of grave clothes and open tombs. He stopped again, and I could see his lips trembling. Oh, come, I protested. What do you know about the odor of grave clothes? You're letting your imagination run away with you. The natives have an odor. Oh, yes, I've noticed it. But it wasn't in the least like that. Now look here, Jimmy, I said. You don't mean to tell me that you seriously believe this thing was a ghost. No, he answered slowly. I don't believe in ghosts. At least I didn't until last night. But anything seems possible here. The dead are just as dead in Egypt as they are anywhere, I pointed out. Your ghost was a native prowling around to see if he could steal something or do some other mischief. Just get that firmly in your head, will you? But where did he go? Jimmy persisted, his voice a little shrill. How could he disappear like that? If I'd seen him slinking away, but I didn't. There was nothing in sight. Absolutely nothing. I stood up to make sure. I even walked around a little. These natives are up to all sorts of tricks, I said. He may have dropped behind a sand ridge, or he may have ducked under a tent. Come on, we'll tell Davis. We found Davis, after some searching, sitting hunched up by himself, with his arms around his knees, staring away to the east, as though, by consideration, he hoped to see what was happening to his beloved ruins. And we sat down beside him, and I told him the story. He listened with close attention. 
it was undoubtedly one of the natives he agreed though i have never known anything of the sort to happen before you don't mean to say no egyptian will steal i asked oh no they're no more honest than other people but what good would it do to steal anything out here if the thief tried to leave the caravan he would die in the desert and if he didn't leave he'd be discovered as soon as anything was missed for all the natives would be searched they all know that then what was his object i don't know and davis pulled his white beard thoughtfully in fact i'd say it wasn't a native at all if there was any other possible explanation jimmy's inclined to think it was a ghost i said jokingly he said it smelled of grave clothes of course he is a connoisseur of grave clothes but davis didn't appear amused instead he looked at jimmy quickly what sort of odor was it he asked i can't just describe it said jimmy slowly a sort of musty spicy smell a smell i somehow associate with mummies though i don't know that i've ever smelled a mummy they're always in tight glass cases all i ever saw his voice trailed away and he left the sentence unfinished instead of laughing at him as i expected davis sat silent plucking at his beard and staring at the horizon and poor jimmy crouching there filtering the sand nervously between his fingers and hungering for a word of comfort and not getting it at last i could stand it no longer you don't mean to say you think it was a ghost i protested impatiently oh no davis answered quietly but there was something in his voice a sort of undercurrent i had never noticed before it was one of the natives without a doubt but his object puzzles me there are the women i suggested but davis shook his head decidedly it had nothing to do with them he said i know these egyptians but i'll see mustafa as he started to rise jimmy caught his arm we mustn't alarm the women he said i'll tell no one but mustafa davis promised the whole thing had better be kept among us three he disappeared in the darkness in the direction of the camp after a moment jimmy rose wearily and brushed the sand from his trousers i'm going to turn in he said i'm dead tired are you coming no i said i think i'll smoke another pipe good night then good night i answered and watched him as he walked away davis came back presently and somewhat to my surprise sat down beside me i've spoken to mustafa he said he'll keep his eyes open i don't think we'll be bothered again unless it's a case of nerves jimmy was telling me that the silence and emptiness and all that was giving him the jumps i said i suspected it from the way he talked nodded davis i've seen just such cases before some men can't stand the desert at all they develop mania and get worse and worse as long as they stay in egypt with others it wears off in a few days if he's bothered again i'll give him a sedative what was the use of coming away out here in the desert anyway i asked why couldn't we have stayed somewhere near the river davis straightened out his legs and cleared his throat as though suddenly called upon to defend himself the place we're going to he said is as i understand it the exact background mr creel wants for his picture he'll not be disappointed i can promise you that and it has this further advantage that he can rearrange things to suit himself something he would never be permitted to do with any of the better-known places along the river i'm going to help with the picture all i can but i don't need to pretend to you i don't pretend to anybody that it's the picture which interests me the most what does interest you most the solution of the greatest riddle in egyptian history he answered his voice suddenly hoarse with emotion between the twelfth and the eighteenth dynasties there is a gap of five centuries on which we have scarcely a single ray of light it was during those five centuries that egypt was ruled by the so-called iskos or shepherd kings arabs probably the period extends roughly from twenty two hundred to seventeen hundred years before christ 
and it was during that period according to the bible narrative that the children of israel were in bondage here that joseph was overlord at the court of pharaoh and that the seven years famine occurred and all the rest of it if we can unearth the records of that period we will prove or disprove the bible story and you expect to unearth them out here in the desert i asked incredulously i think it possible he answered gravely a quiver of excited awe swept through me here indeed was something big something tremendous something beside which our own business in the desert dwindled to ridiculous insignificance but i stammered but i don't see the record of those five hundred years davis explained even the names of the shepherd kings were destroyed by the native kings who came after them who were determined that not a single memento should remain of that period of alien rule the great sphinx in the louvre the baghdad lion the sacrificial stone at giza all these were covered by the records of that period and they were all chiselled away so carefully that scarcely a word is decipherable not a single inscription was left anywhere and if any still exist it must be in some remote place where they remained undiscovered but why out here i asked what makes you think i believe one of those kings was buried here davis answered if i can find his tomb if it is still intact he was combing his beard nervously again and i suddenly discovered that the hand which held my pipe was trembling violently then davis rose with a jerk we must get some sleep he said and i would ask you not to repeat anything of all this it is a secret i don't share with everyone there was a note in his voice which told me that he was already wondering how he had come to share it with me i promised of course to say nothing and followed him to bed but my head was whirling as i lay wrapped in my blanket staring up at the stars what a tremendous business to prove or disprove that splendid bible story the thought shook me through and through it was a long time before i could compose myself for sleep end of chapter eleven